I am Danika. And I am Myra. And this is the Black Women Healing Podcast. A space to discuss mental wellness. A space to dive into soul care and vulnerability. Here, we will support you on your journey as you focus on your healing. While also giving you the work along the way. Welcome to Black Women Healing Podcast. Well, I am here to announce that our book, Let's Heal, a workbook designed for Black women with various modalities by your co-host Danika and Myra is now at a storefront. And so the storefront is Urbana Goods. It's a community store that brings an upgraded experience of connecting with the community uh, with small crafting gatherings and workshops and supporting other local businesses by housing and selling their merchandise, such as us. And they even sell some of your typical items from the local convenience store. Like y'all, I literally bought some body butter, hair products, and a cute purse all from this store. Just to give you a little example. So when you have some time, check out Urbana Goods. It's located in Guardina, California. The actual address is 1756 West El Segundo, Guardina, California, 90249. You can put it in your GPS, whatever you need to do, but go ahead and make your way there and check us out. Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Black Women Healing Podcast, and we are keeping these episodes going. So uh, before we introduce our guests, we're going to start off with um, a small quote, and then we're just going to, you know, give our reflections on it. So this quote is actually from Oprah Winfrey, and the quote goes, breathe, let go, and remind yourself that this very moment is the only one you know you have for sure. What do you all think about this quote? I actually love it because, you know, we spend so much time thinking about the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. We're so busy. We're so flooded with all the things that we have to do that sometimes we don't even stop and enjoy where we are in that moment and really, you know, affirm the fact that we are in this place and in this space right now. And we could, we really need to, to enjoy that. Yes. Yeah, I agree. It's just like really screaming out that present moment piece, being the present moment. Um, I had someone say recently about, um, I think it was about breastfeeding their child. And they were like, you know, I don't want this to end. I'm thinking they were like, uh, this moment that's happening, um, they're going to get married, maybe you have children, they're going to move out and all of this. And I'm just like, slow down. We're right here. We're right here. <laughs> the, the, you know, the baby, right. baby is is here. It's still happening. Your baby's still breaking, right. still getting that bond. So enjoy yeah. it while you can. All those things may happen, but right mm-hmm. now it's not happening. So mm-hmm. like, let's slow down. So this for sure just is screaming out, like, be present and enjoy what you have going on now. My room is thinking of this. I agree with you too. Um, the uh, the other thing also made me think of is just like uh, like when a loved one passes away, how we're oftentimes like, oh, reflecting on like moments we had with them and things like that when we could have been doing that in the moment where we had that time with them and giving them their flowers then and really being focused on those moments rather than them having passed away then it being like oh I should have did this I should have did that so that's kind of like where my mind went I've been thinking a lot about like my grandma and so my mind automatically went to her of just like living in the moments with her and making sure I spend time with her so that was where my my reflection kind of went yeah absolutely yeah this is so true being present with our loved ones for sure yes. mm-hmm. 
Well, let's go ahead and jump in and introduce our guests. As usual, I have my extra guest with me, Shyla. So you may hear her in the background. Actually, let me grab her one second. Sorry about that. I'm going to go ahead and introduce our guests. We have Dr. Marie. Sorry, one second, y'all. She has a little one. Oh, okay. (laughs) She has a a little baby. Oh, I remember those days. She's like one and a half. So she's starting to, she's talking more. She's, you know, Mm -hmm. she wants to, she's trying to live out here. And yeah, so. <laughs> that's that's a that's a fun age. Just talk about being in that moment. Hey, pretty girl. <laughs> hey, pretty girl. She requested to be a part of the episode. So okay. Hey, pretty girl. <laughs> yeah, so nice to talk. <laughs> oh, hey, pretty girl. <laughs> All right, y'all. I'm gonna go ahead and introduce our guest today. Our guest is Dr. Marie Brown Mercadell. She is a retired human services professional who served communities in North Carolina, Texas, California, and Louisiana. She recently published her memoir, Getting to My Enough, A Story of Faith, Resilience, and Survival. We are very happy to have Dr. Marie here today. And to just get us started, we're going to be talking about childhood trauma and its impacts. So, Dr. Marie, our first question is, how did your childhood trauma influence your career choice as a human services professional? Well, first, before I get into that, I want to say thank you so much, Danica and Myra, for hosting me here on the Black Woman Healing Pod. I really appreciate that. So to answer your question, um, my childhood trauma had a significant impact on my career choice as a human services professional, because when I was in the throes of dealing with um recovering from being sexually abused between the ages of seven and 10 years old by an adult family member, feeling a sense of abandonment because my parents separated and I was primarily raised by my dad, which was pretty much an anomaly back in the seventies. He was a single parent to myself and six siblings. And then later uh, a a niece that was born to my 17 year old sister um, dealing with um, having to go through a second trimester abortion, which is late to terminate that pregnancy. So I was dealing with all types of trauma, but feeling like I really didn't have the supports that I needed to move forward and be okay. And so I wanted to be a human services professional because Honestly, I wanted to help other vulnerable populations of people. I understood how it felt to be alone, how it felt to feel um, stress and anxiety and depression. And I wanted to pour back into to people who I knew were like me or had my similar experiences um, in the world. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, and most definitely sounds like I mean you've had like this this personal connection. Mm-hmm. Um 
And it sounds like that you used it to be able to provide services for your community, for people who have experienced or may experience things that you have. Um, so in thinking of your own mental wellness, how did your childhood trauma impact yours? You know, the interesting thing is, um, and being a, a human services professional, serving others was pretty cathartic for me. It, 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 it was therapeutic for me, but in the same way, I was providing services to other people, but I wasn't providing services to the most important constituent there was, which should have been myself, right? Um, so I buried a lot of the feelings that I had. I, I didn't acknowledge the internal turmoil that I had because for one, in, in um, my household, which you'd probably be familiar with this state saying, what happens in your household stays in your household. We don't talk a lot about um, mental wellness in the Black community because there's a stigma that's associated with it. So I didn't talk about my own issues, but I was absolutely impacted by low self-esteem, by, you know, what I call walking depression sometimes, um, dealing with anxiety without even knowing that it was anxiety, because sometimes that looks like sleeping too much or not sleeping enough or you know, just other behaviors that you engage in to try to make yourself feel better in that moment. And I wasn't until um, really in my 40s, although I had been a human services professional for almost two decades at that time, that I really realized that my anxiety was starting to surface and I was no longer going to be able to 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 um, push it down, that I really had to start dealing with it um, externally. So, you know, I masked a lot um, and I hid a lot of my my feelings and emotions and it kind of made me feel stoic um, for a while. And um, I probably presented as um, emotionless when on the inside, there was all kinds of emotions just running through my my entire soul all the time. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for explaining that. Uh we just want to make sure we're 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 clear of, of a, what a human service professional is. Can you give us a little bit of context of what that means? Yes. Yeah, so I work in the field of social services. So every aspect of social services that you can that you can provide. So I work with at-risk youth, with teenagers that have behavior health issues. I work with girls um, that have been sexually abused and sometimes trafficked. I work with individuals that had mental health disorders. Um, those that have substance abuse issues um, in the latter part of my career, in the last um, 10, 10 to 12 years, I work in child welfare. Um, I was managing a staff of over a thousand um, individuals that were charged with investigating incidences of abuse and neglect and that's physical abuse or sexual abuse or emotional abuse. I also managed um, public health nursing, um, nursing clinics, um, community wellness programs, and also public assistance programs for people that got things that you probably be familiar with, food stamps and Medicaid and cash assistance. So I'm a I'm a human services and public service servant in my heart. And so I felt like it was my responsibility to help provide a pathway for individuals and in all of those um, um, capacities that I mentioned um, to really help them to try to be able to thrive, um, become self-sufficient, um, get provide get services that they needed to, to heal um, and move forward um, to be able to live 
you know, what we talk about as our best life. Yes, yes, absolutely. So, I mean, literally human service. Yes, yes. Everybody, yes. all different <laughs> yes. types of populations. Yes. I'm hearing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so in thinking of, of this word healing out loud, what does healing mm-hmm. out loud mean? And what can this look like for others? So healing out loud um, for me meant removing the stigma of saying that I live with anxiety every single day. It means talking about the fact that we all have challenges. That could be depression. It could be anxiety. It could be bipolar disorder. It could be a number of other mental health issues. It could be schizophrenia. It could be cyclical depression. Um, But being able to have that conversation about what we're going through and talking about our process for healing, because again, um, in the Black community, we don't do enough to talk about mental wellness. And so for me, I I did a TED Talk um, last year in December, and the title of it was Healing Out Loud. And so we don't have to suffer in silence. We can actually actually be able to have conversations with the people in our circle, with our clergy, um, and seek therapeutic and non-therapeutic interventions to be able to heal. We don't have to suffer in silence. We don't have to suffer alone. Um, July actually is Black Mental Health Awareness Month. And there's a lot of work that's happening um, um, around our profession in terms of trying to break that stigma and reduce that stigma of talking about mental um, wellness. And so that's what I mean when I say healing out loud. Let's have a conversation um, similar to likely, you know, what your podcast does is to bring awareness and to educate people and to give them resources and information around dealing with their own um, personal mental wellness. Thank you for sharing that. I found your TED Talk, so we're going to be sure to share it on our um, Instagram. Oh, perfect. I'm curious um, what your experience is like now. Like, what is life like now as you're reflecting on the the experiences that you've had as a child and the work that you've kind of done? I'm wondering if you ever get triggered currently or um, if you ever have any difficulties that arise where you're you're kind of set back to like your childhood or feelings from your childhood come up at all. Oh, um, absolutely. You know, my experience of, you know, being sexually abused, you know, really impacted my entire life all the way through adulthood. The funny thing is being a human services professional and working with others to provide resources and supports, but, you know, we don't provide those things for ourselves. And, you know, today my experience in that is, you know, it happened to me, but it wasn't my fault. Once I was able to acknowledge that what happened to me was not my fault, once I learned to forgive um, the perpetrator, um, once I learned to forgive my parents and the adults in my life um, that I felt like at times did not protect me, then I was able to really move forward um, mentally. That experience is a part of my psyche. It's a part of my makeup. And absolutely, sometimes there are are triggers. Um, I try to stay abreast, even though I'm retired. I try to stay abreast of what's happening in the child welfare world. And so when I see these egregious cases of of assault, sexual assault, abuse, trafficking, that absolutely is a trigger for me. When I was working in child welfare, every single case that came across my desk that related to childhood sexual abuse was a trigger for me. 
But what I have also learned with those triggers is how to manage those triggers, Mm -hmm. because I think that's the important part. We're all going to be triggered by some experience or some emotion, but how do we manage those triggers? How do we recognize what those triggers are so that we don't go back into that state that causes us to be anxious or causes us to be depressed? And so that's a really important part for me. Um, you know, today in my life, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at where I have been able to, to come to where I'm able to be in my life today. Um, I'm very proud of the fact that I consider myself to be a trauma warrior because many people don't make it. Many people don't get here. I know many adults that have experienced similar or worse to what I experienced as a child who are still there. They're still in in their, you know, seven or eight or 10 or 15 year old stage. Um, And so I am very grateful. One of the things that I do is I have um, seminars that are that invite women. It's a free event. And I read excerpts of my book and then we have guided discussion questions. And there has not been um, one single event that I have had that someone didn't disclose for the first time. I've had these events in California, Louisiana, Texas, Georgia, here in North Carolina, And it makes me very happy that I can share my story as a way to have other people start to share their story and to be able to get the help and support that they need. So a lot of my healing today is coming through helping others and sharing my story with others. So I'm in a very good place. I do say that I deal with anxiety every single day. That's still a part of me, but I just know how to manage that. And for me, managing that anxiety includes, you know, working out, you know, um, I love to run. I'm an athlete in my mind. Um, (laughs) I love to do Peloton. I love to lift weights. I have two amazing twin grandchildren that are 12 years old. I love spending time with them. Um, We travel with them to Italy, New York, Atlanta, all these great places. And my husband and my family are a great sense of support to me uh, because they understand that what I have gone through, but they also understand that I'm in a different place. Um, And so it's always going to be a part of me. I will never forget it, but I have just not let it define me because I think it's important for us to be accountable. We have to be accountable for our own healing. We're responsible for our own healing. Mm -hmm. And so it's, you know, it's easy to, to get, place back there because of the triggers, but I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful to be here and to be, to be at at 59. I want to be 99. And I just made the decision that I was going to keep moving, keep moving throughout my life. um, So that I could, so I could be better so that I could do better. So I'm in a great place today. Yes. Thank you for sharing that, Dr. Marie. If you're Mm -hmm. open to sharing, I'm curious how your experience impacted you as a mother, because I'm oftentimes thinking about like people that I come across who have had, you know, sexual abuse experiences as a child and they have some struggles when they parent or they feel like they're not doing enough or it's a lot of different emotions that can come with it. And if you're open to sharing, I'm curious how that shows up because you shared your grandma also. Yes. Curious how, 
how it kind of plays a role in that? You know, that's a very good question. And that's actually an emotional question for me to answer, right? Because, you know, as a mom that had experienced childhood sexual abuse, it was my it was my goal to try to protect my daughter from everything. Because statistically, according to the Center for Disease Control, one in four girls and one in 13 boys will be sexually abused by the time they reach the age of 18. And 91% of those perpetrators are family members or known family friends. And so we talk about teaching our children about stranger danger. It wasn't the stranger danger that I was worried about. It was the dangers within my own home. Mm -hmm. And I was hyper vigilant and probably overbearing um, as a parent as a result of that. And, you know, you think that you can save your children from everything, right? You have a beautiful one, one and a half year old daughter. And the reality of it is we, we can't unfortunately save them from everything, but we can damn well try, right? And so it affected me as a parent in terms of being, trying to be more vigilant around who I exposed my daughter to. I had trust issues and sometimes those trust issues still come to surface because I didn't want my daughter to experience what I had experienced, but I still did not do everything correctly with my daughter. And because it's important for me to break those multi-generational cycles of dysfunction, everything that I do with my grandson and my granddaughter is different than what I did with my own daughter. Because now I know better. Now I know more. Now I not only know from my personal experiences, I also know from my professional experiences as well. Um, I tell my daughter that if I had waited to heal before I had children, I would have been around 45 when I had my first child instead of 22. And so a lot of ways, when I first had my daughter, when I was 22, I was still in the throes of all the trauma that I was dealing with. And so you're probably gonna do this too when your daughter is 25 or 30, we're gonna think back, wow, I wish I would have did this different. I wish I would have done that different. I wish I would have did this different. And so those things that I know that I wish I would have managed a little bit differently because of my own trauma with my daughter, um, I work very hard to manage those things very differently with my grandchildren and my nieces and my nephews um, that I have. Um, great relationships and great influence over their lives as well. Thank you for sharing that, Dr. Marie. It's kind of making me laugh a little bit because you're making me reflect on when you see like when you see grandparents and their child will be like, you weren't like that with me. Right. Right. <laughs> but they'll be like, but you like that with your grandchildren. Right. And like oftentimes the grandparents don't know what to say to it. And the kids mm-hmm. are oftentimes like jealous because they're like, why don't you like that with me? Yes. But yeah. I feel like I've heard from you it's that chance to to do it again, to write yes. songs and to figure out like, how can I approach this differently? So it like made yes. me just a little bit because yes. like, you know, all those instances where I see that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, I almost feel like, and it's, it's, I, it's this is not going to sound right, but <laughs> you, you practice on your children, right? And then you can get it right with your grandchildren <laughs> and exactly. your great grandchildren. So, <laughs> so yes, absolutely. I'm I'm completely different as a grandparent than I was as a parent because I know more now and I'm more mature now. You know, I'm I'm 59 and my grandchildren were born when I was 47. So I was over that hump and starting my healing process, mm-hmm. and so that helped tremendously. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for that reflection. Although you shared it would be emotional. 
Yes. I'm thankful that you went there because these things that you literally just shared are things that are oftentimes not talked about and mm-hmm. we'll need to hear it from somebody. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Um, go ahead. If I could just add one thing yeah. too is there's no such thing as perfect parenting, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my daughter and I have a great relationship, but there have been moments when I'm like, did I really give birth to this child? <laughs> like, who are you? And one of the things for me is to help her work through her own issues is to be able to allow her to say, I don't like it when you did this or when I was little, you did that. Or And so a lot of people say, oh, well, I'm your parent and you shouldn't disrespect me. And she doesn't disrespect me, but she uses her voice, which is what I teach my granddaughter. So I'm as a, as a mother who has been through trauma and didn't get this from my own mother, am able to say to my daughter, I may not agree with your perspective of what you're saying, but if I did something to hurt you, then I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I still love you. I'm glad you shared that with me. I may not see it the way she sees it, but it's her perspective. And through my trauma, I had to learn that I had to accept her perspective because unfortunately, there's some people in my family that don't accept my perspective of what happened to me in my childhood. Mm. I love that because it's teaching that you should communicate Mm -hmm. and it is okay to be able to identify what's going on with you. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) As opposed to just keeping it deep down inside and then having to go to therapy to talk about this right in when you could have been talking about it now and having other things to talk about in therapy so exactly i appreciate absolutely yeah Yeah. for those who are wanting to start their healing process of their childhood trauma but not sure where to start what are some steps that you would suggest hey baby girl so one of the things that I always do at my Sip and Heal events is I have a list of resources because sometimes people come and talk to me there, but sometimes people are not ready to have that open conversation. And I would say typically in our work environments, you have employee assistance programs where you're able to go through some insurances allow eight or some allow 16 sessions of therapy. I would say if you want to start your healing journey, one of the things that you should do is consider either therapeutic or non-therapeutic interventions. It's it's different for everyone. Some people are able to use yoga and meditation and, and exercise, or some people need to actually see a therapist. I would say talk to someone in your circle that you can trust. Maybe that's clergy. Maybe that's a close family friend. If that's a counselor at school, um, you know, a pastor, or go out and, and seek a therapist. Um But even before you do that, let me back up a little bit. In terms of starting the healing process, I think we have to be open on what to be in our conversations about what happened to us because sometimes we're too ashamed because society does a really, really, really good job at shaming people for what they've gone through. And so we have to be able to be authentic in having conversations about what happened to us Mm -hmm. and we have to be ready and we have to be open. Um, We have to be open to, to doing the work to heal because I, like I said before, I know many people who went through trauma as a child and they're in my age range and they still haven't healed. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, um, 
one of the things that I wanted to talk about too is, you know, in my professional realm in learning about adverse childhood experiences and adverse childhood experiences study was done. Um, it was a survey a study that was done in collaboration with Center for Disease Control and Kaiser Permanente, which is a big health maintenance organization in California. Mm-hmm. And um, in this study, they included 17,000 adults who were in the HMO in in San Diego, California. And they looked at things that happened to people between the ages of zero and 17 years old. Things like substance abuse within the household, an incarcerated family member, witnessing domestic violence, being sexually or physically abused, feeling unloved, feeling like you didn't have enough food to eat. There's about 10 10 questions that they asked. And if you answer yes to four more of those questions, what it indicates is you are more likely to start having sex before the age of 15, unwanted pregnancy, um, substance abuse issues, behavior health issues. But in adulthood, these untreated mental health issues could cause diabetes, obesity, cancer, stroke, heart disease. And so that's another reason why it's important to be able to talk and get the services that you need, because not only is it affecting us psychologically, it's affecting us physiologically. Now, keep in mind, I have five out of 10 ACEs, Mm. five out of 10. So I am at risk. I was, would have been at risk for early death due to those factors if I had not gotten the help and resources that I need. So that's another reason why it's very important for people to start their process of healing from childhood trauma at any age. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that um, when you think about like the ACEs and those types of things, they're they're good um, to reflect on, but also it's not the determining factor all the time because then you right. have pieces and when you start healing out loud and all this type exactly. of stuff, that then can change the trajectory of what can happen. Exactly, so, exactly. Yeah, no, I love that you bring that up just because sometimes people will see those tools and they'll be like, oh my goodness, my life is a mess. I'm not going to ever be able to do this or this is going to happen. Right. For sure, when it's like right, not necessarily. Let's right, talk, you, know, you know, it's some way right. you can combat this. So I'm yeah. brought that up. Um, so you know, today we talked about um a lot of different things, childhood trauma and just trauma in general and its impacts. So uh, we always leave our guests, our audience, with a takeaway. So this could be anything of your choice, anything that's sitting in your soul or sitting with you right now. Um, please share with us. I want people to know that you deserve to heal, that you are enough and you are not what happened to you, that you can live your best life, take accountability for your healing and be able to affirm the person that you are. Every day I use an affirmation. I'm strong. I'm smart. I'm confident. I'm amazing. And I'm and I am enough. So I encourage people to start where they are right now and start their own journey of healing to get to there enough. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Marie. You also mentioned a sip and heal event. Can you tell us more about that? What is that? Yeah, so I launched my first sip and heal event at um, at the University of California, Los Angeles in, in April of last year. And it's basically, I have, um, I invite women um, to come and it's a safe space for women to talk about their issues. As I mentioned earlier, 
I read from excerpts of my book, from about five chapters of my book. Um, I talk about the ACEs. At the beginning um, of the events, everyone takes the ACEs. It's all anonymous. It goes to a job form where it's aggregated. And then if they choose to, they can say if they had one or if they had 10. So then after the Sip and Heal events, we have guided discussion questions. And I ask questions about, you know, like an example, tell me at a time in your life where you felt like you were not enough. Um, tell me about a time when you felt like you were an imposter. And so it just goes from there. So I have about 10 guided discussion questions, but oftentimes the audience typically takes over and we start talking and we don't get to the 10 questions because they have their own comments and reflections. But really, it's it's a, a safe space that is designed to give people an opportunity to talk about their own healing journeys, to recognize that they need to start a healing journey. And we always end out up with affirmations. And I have a list of resources that I give that include things such as therapy for, for Black men, um, NAMI, um, RAIN, um, and I want to make sure that everywhere that I go, I try to infuse some local resources. Um, so to give people an opportunity to, to go and, and, and seek services and help on their own. I've had about um, 70 of these events across um, California, Georgia, Texas, Louisiana, and here in North Carolina. Um, the ones that I hold at, for public events are in libraries, and people also host them in their home and invite their own um, circle of friends. And so they're really designed to be a safe space for people to start talking um, about their own journeys. And I really wanted people, I think, in this book, what was really most important to me in the Sip and Heels is I wanted people to know that you can be educated, live in the suburbs, travel abroad, wear designer clothes, drive luxury cars, and you can still deal with anxiety. And I wanted them to have a face to that. I wanted them to see that this is me, the person who never went outside without a hair out of, with, a, with a hair out of place, always dressed and dealt with anxiety every day. I wanted them to see that anxiety can look like me, to be able to give them um the 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 tools that they needed to express some of the, some of what they were dealing with and they they've been very successful and i've been very proud of that work and able to help people along in their own healing journeys thank you for sharing dr marie this is huge you just casually said yeah <laughs> ucla when is the next event and how can we um get our audience there my next event is actually on July 27th. It's at the Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, actually. I have a flyer right here. So at the Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, it's on 5935 Hickory Grove Road. I can actually email this to you and you can post it. And then um, I also have events, open events in, in August, September, and October. And people can also contact me to host an event. I And my goal is to have them in every state in the U.S. So I do travel. I've gone back and forth to California quite frequently because I'm, I moved to North Carolina from California um, three years ago. So I was in California for about 25 years before I moved back to the East Coast. So I'm open to having the events across the U.S. because that is absolutely my goal. They're free events. They don't cost any money for um, anyone to attend. 
Um, and so that is my that is my retirement job is hosting these events and helping other women on their path to healing. That is amazing. I love the way you just casually said it. That's all. <laughs> talk about this a little bit more especially because yes. it sounds like such an amazing resource being mm -hmm. that you're someone that's had this lived experience yes. you've done the work with other people and you're continuing to to do the work like that's really big not a lot of people have that same um background as you do so yes. that's amazing so thank you for sharing about that and we love to promote it Oh, well, perfect. I really appreciate that. I, I really, really appreciate that. I would really love to be able to expand. Again, it's a free event, but it's 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 free in terms of cost, but it's expensive in terms of what it gains for people in their healing process. And that's what I love. Yes. Before we wrap up, can you share a little bit about your memoir? We didn't really get to touch on it. So can you just share where folks can buy it and a little bit about yes. what it's about and then we'll wrap up. So here is a book. It's called Getting to My Enough, A Story of Faith, Resilience, and Survival. I published the book in April of last year because April is Child Abuse Prevention Month. And then, of course, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. So I really wanted to be able to hone in on those two months. Took me about two um, years to write this book and it started as a journal. And as we talked Know, weeks and months at a time because of the triggers about writing about my experiences. But I really talk in here very frankly about my sexual abuse, about the abortion, about um, my first marriage and the difficulties there and struggling through life until I finally said, you girl, you got to get it together. You've got a daughter now, you've got to get it together. And then from there on, I just started through my own healing journey. Um, I was always very successful in my career. So I kind of use that as a, a way to have a platform to help other people. And so this is a very frank and direct um, conversation that I'm having with individuals in this book about my life. And I pretty much put everything on, on the table because in my healing process, I have to be authentic. My book is available on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Books a Million, all other major retailers, but it's also available on my website. Um, and my website information is www.mercadel, which is M-E-R-C-A-D-E-L, consultingsolutions.net. And if it's okay, I'll also send you that information um, to add to the podcast as well. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us. This is an amazing episode. I look forward to our audience sharing us, sharing with us what they got out of it because I got a lot. So thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. Keep doing the amazing work that you are doing because it's absolutely needed. So thank you for this opportunity. Thank you. Hey, I hope you enjoyed this uh, most recent episode with Dr. Marie. Be sure to check out her book. Also, another good book to check out is What Happened to You by Oprah. If you want a free copy, just DM us and we'll be sure to send it to you. And that's it for this week's episode of Black Women Healing Podcast.